Welcome back to the Authentic Life Podcast. This is episode 6, and today I'm going to be talking about all of my past side hustles. If you've been following my story, you'll know that once I was ready to quit corporate, I didn't really have a clear idea of what I wanted to do next. And so a big part of my process was trying a lot of my different ideas as side hustles. And one of the biggest objections that I hear when it comes to starting your own business is that many people feel that they don't know how to start a business. And I didn't either. And so this was such an, impart an important part of my entrepreneurial journey was starting side hustles, which are low risk. And it's a great way to dip your toes into entrepreneurship. It's a great way to learn how to run a business and learn how you like to run a business. One of the biggest objections I hear when it comes to starting your own business is that many people feel that they don't know how to start a business, and I didn't either. And what I love about side hustles is that you're still in your 9 to 5 job or you still have your stable income, and you can start side hustling on evenings and weekends, and it's super low risk because you still have your income, and it's a great way to dip your toe into entrepreneurship. And I love side hustles because it's a way to start to learn not only how to run a business, but to learn how you, in particular, like to run a business. And so if you're like me and you have kind of a lot of ideas, not only do you get to test out some of those ideas in the form of a side hustle, you get to learn how to run a business and you get to learn how to manage your time on the side outside of work. And you'll start to learn what systems and approaches work for you. And if you really like your side hustle idea or if it's time to try something else. So let's jump into it. Let's talk about my side hustle journey and the lessons that I've learned along the way from each of them. And as a quick note before I get into it, if you're curious to hear a slightly different angle on this, I made a YouTube video this week about my side hustles as well, and I actually go through the process of ranking them, and I talk about how much money I made, and I talk about my overall takeaways from each of these side hustles, and so if you're curious about that, go ahead and check out the video as well. And the YouTube channel is at Alex Ellen, and I'll have it linked up down below as well. So my very first side hustle was Poshmark, and this was more of a hobby that kind of paid for itself, and I really stumbled into Poshmark just kind of by chance because I was really into thrifting, and kind of when you're in the thrifting world, you just naturally come across the idea of a Poshmark shop. And so when was this? Maybe around 2018, I went through... And so this was around 2019, I think. I went through a phase where I was really into thrifting and I'd always find a lot more stuff at the store than I needed. And you can find some really great stuff at the thrift store and it kind of feels sad to leave it behind. And this was also around the time when thrifting and Poshmark really came onto my radar as far as YouTube channels. I watched YouTube channels like Best Dressed and Carrie Dayton and it just felt like everyone was talking about thrifting at the time, and it really just kind of exploded onto the scene, for me at least. And I felt like I was pretty good at thrifting, and I would always find really great items that I thought had a lot of value and that someone else could really treasure in their wardrobe, and so I decided to start a little Poshmark shop. 
And while this may seem like a pretty simple prospect, what I learned was that running a Poshmark shop is a lot of work. And I don't want to get into it like crazy, but just to kind of summarize the overall process, just in case you're curious about starting a Poshmark of your own, it starts with finding the clothes. And so you can spend a couple hours at the thrift store searching for items. And once you have your items, you have to take them home, maybe wash them, prepare them and model them or photograph them in some way. Then you have to bring everything onto your computer and write descriptions and pricing and everything in Poshmark. And then on top of that, you have to really be sharing your listings all the time to make sure they're kind of in front of people and you're doing a lot of customer service, like answering questions, maybe taking additional photos, sending measurements, whatever. And once you've finally sold an item, that's not the end. You have to package it up and maybe print your label. And for me, I didn't have a printer at the time, so I was always walking to the nearest office supply store and printing my label for like 10 cents at the store, and then I would take it to the post office. And so as you can see, this is a side hustle that can be very time consuming. And for me, financially, it just didn't make sense as a side hustle. And I'm in Canada, so the cost of goods for thrifted clothing has definitely gone up. And a lot of items are between $5 and $20 in the thrift store. And most people on Poshmark only want to spend around $5 to $20 on the stuff that they're buying on there as well. So you have a hard time kind of getting that profit margin once you take into consideration the Poshmark fees, the shipping fees, and the cost of packaging. And again, in Canada, shipping is a little bit more expensive than the options that are available to people in the US. So for me, when I look back on this quote unquote side hustle, I would say this is more of a hobby that paid for itself. I didn't really make any money doing this, but I was able to kind of break even and I had a lot of fun thrifting. But in hindsight, I spent a ton of time running my Poshmark shop for very little return. But I would say that this was a good starter business for me. This was the first time I had ever really done anything that was a business. And so it definitely helped me build my confidence as far as time management and customer service and sort of what goes into running a business. So my next side hustle was photography. And this was something that I started because photography was already a hobby of mine. And I was really motivated at the time to start a business that I could start quickly. And because I already had this existing skill, I thought I could turn it into a business pretty quickly. But the only problem with my plan is that I had huge imposter syndrome and it took me forever to actually start charging for my photography. And another thing that really held me back, I would say, is perfectionism. And I really wanted everything to be perfect before I sort of unveiled it for the public because I was scared of judgment and criticism and things like that. And really quickly, just in case you don't really know what imposter syndrome means, it's just sort of when you feel like an imposter. You feel like, I'm actually not qualified to do this thing and at any moment people can find out that I'm not qualified and I will be labeled an imposter. And so on that note, for me, the imposter syndrome that was coming up was this was my first sort of public 
side hustle, like with my Poshmark shop, it was anonymous. No one really knew who I was and I didn't really have to put myself out there. All the focus was on the clothing. And so for me, I was not only starting a photography business at this time, but I was also trying to step into a new identity. And that was the identity of a photographer or someone who is creative and also a business owner and someone who's on social media. There's kind of a lot of identities that come with putting yourself out there in your own business. And it was something that I had no experience in. I was for the past about 10 years of my life, very focused on being an engineer. And I had a lot of kind of strict ways that I viewed myself because of this sort of engineering personality. I thought, okay, if I'm an engineer, I need to fit into the engineer box. And so engineers aren't known for being super artistic or creative. And so that really kind of was a struggle to step into the photographer identity because that's someone who is creative and who and who has more artistic skills. And so that kind of was a hurdle that I was working with at that time. And I was also really struggling with sort of the fear of judgment and people kind of questioning, you know, Alex, you're an engineer, you have this steady job, it's quote unquote well-paying, and why would you want to start a side hustle? Why would you want to do this photography thing? It's so risky, blah, blah, blah. Like I had that tape playing on loop in my head and it really slowed me down and it really held me back. And so for me, starting this photography business, I would say was a lot less about starting a photography business and a lot more about me learning to step into a new identity. And going back to the perfectionism side of things, for this side hustle, I really never felt ready. I told myself all the time that I just needed to do a few more free shoots, I needed to build my portfolio, I needed to build my website, blah, 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 like kind of all the things we tell ourselves to kind of hold ourselves back from making the change and, you know, experiencing the discomfort of personal growth. And so I had a lot of mindset drama around everything that was kind of related to this business, like getting my website ready, needing a website. People wouldn't take me seriously if I didn't have a website and a portfolio. And how would I price myself? I just had a lot of mindset drama about all of those things. And this went on for at least a year of me sort of preparing to launch this business, like slowly posting to Instagram and doing free shoots all the time. And then one day, you know, I had just wrapped up yet another free shoot and I was finishing editing the photos and I just looked at them and something inside me clicked and I was like, why are you not charging? Like your work is ready. You were ready before this, but you are certainly ready now. And it's so interesting if you're into kind of energetics and manifestation and the universe and that sort of things. Because as soon as I had that energetic shift inside of myself where that moment that it clicked that was like, you need to be charging, I knew I was ready and it was honestly like a week later that I had multiple people reaching out to me on Instagram asking if they could work with me. And I made about $500 with the people that had come in as soon as I had that energetic shift 
And I finally was able to experience what it was like to really, truly do my hobby as a business because now I had people paying me and I was really going through the truly business motions of this. And it's funny because I realized that I didn't love running this as a business. And in hindsight, looking back at kind of the process that I took, I was running my hobby as a hobby basically up until that point that I had that energetic shift and I finally felt ready to charge people. But long story short, I completed the work for those clients, delivered everything, and pretty much was ready to move on to the next thing because I just knew that I didn't really want photography to be my business and I didn't really love all of the back-end tasks associated with this business, which is editing a lot of photos, a lot of time staring at your computer screen, and also a lot of time on social media, kind of posting your work all the time to build your account. And I think one of the reasons that I went after photography so much and for so long was because I was really unhappy in my career at this time. And if you want I guess some kind of corporate jargon here, I was really chasing the quick win or what I perceived to be low-hanging fruit. And I thought, you know, this is the skill I have. This is the fastest way I can start making money outside of my job and quit my job. But what ended up happening is that I took a really long road to get here, trying to chase something that was quick that it actually took me so much longer to finally get to my true business idea, which was coaching, than I think it may have if I had just been focused on, you know, being more patient in the beginning and really searching for what is right for me. But again, I sort of think that everything happens the way it should. And if I hadn't gone through all of these experiences, I wouldn't necessarily have the skills that I have today that have kind of compiled into what helps me run my business. So my third side hustle was Etsy Digital Downloads. And if you listened to the last podcast episode, you'll know that I was really curious about graphic design. I was curious about all design in general, but graphic design really stuck out at that time. And again, I think it was because it was something that I perceived to be a little bit faster to get going like graphic design would be faster to get started with than interior design. For example, you probably need to take some courses or get certified for interior design, but graphic design, you can self-study and, you know, purchase some pretty low cost courses on, let's say Udemy and get the ball rolling. And so this was something that was new to me. I didn't really have experience in graphic design, but I had always been more artistic growing up and I had an eye for aesthetics and I had sort of just kind of put that side of my personality away while I was so focused on being an engineer. And so at this time, I really started trying to get up to speed on the fundamentals and learning color theory and typography and things like that and really diving into programs like Illustrator and Photoshop to get up to speed on my skills. And I don't really know exactly when I decided to start selling Etsy digital downloads, but at some point I did. (laughs) And what I was selling specifically were Canva templates on Etsy. And this 
business ended up making a pretty decent amount of passive money over the last couple years. But I would say for anyone that's interested in this, the startup phase definitely was work. It took me a decent chunk of time, probably at least 40 hours to create my products and create the listings and get everything kind of set up, if not longer than 40 hours. I just wasn't really tracking my time at all, so I don't exactly have a good estimate, but I know many, many weekends were spent getting the shop started up. So I would say that Etsy is pretty great if you can figure out how to rank, then your products will sell pretty consistently. But the downside about Etsy is that there's always new competition coming on the market. There's a lot of YouTube videos that are telling people like you can make 10k months selling, you know, art on Etsy or whatever. And I'm sure that's true, but I don't think that's true for everyone. I would say it's pretty competitive and there's a lot of people trying to get into this market. So my advice would be to choose something that you are already kind of an expert in rather than chasing what someone on YouTube is telling you is like a good thing to do on Etsy. Like a ton of people are trying to do digital art downloads. A ton of people are doing like wedding invitation templates or resume templates and stuff like that. And that's not what I did on Etsy. And I was able to just take something that was kind of a hobby of mine that I was already kind of an expert in, in a way, and I was well versed in that space and I saw kind of a gap in the market and I was like, hmm, I wonder if people would need something like this and I think it could be useful. And so I created that product and it turns out that it was useful because I've made like about $6,000 over the last couple of years on this side hustle. And so for me, obviously you're not gonna quit your job making $2,000 a year on Etsy as a side hustle but it's definitely a solid source of side income. And I think it could have been a lot more for me if I had been putting a little bit more time into my shop. One thing I did was I kind of set it and forget it. I had the products in there, they were doing well, and I just didn't really add more products. And I didn't give the shop the time that maybe it could have needed if I wanted to make more money. But I'm happy with how the shop has been going because like I said, it's been basically entirely passive since I got it up and running. And I think one of the lessons looking back on both the Poshmark and the Etsy shop is that I was still playing small. I was still scared of being seen and I was scared of really putting myself out there with a service that relied on my own kind of expertise because I was having a hard time identifying what my expertise was outside of engineering, which was my, you know, day job. I felt like, oh, I've spent so much time developing this career. I haven't really been developing a lot of skills outside of engineering. I just don't feel like an expert. Again, I had a lot of that imposter syndrome going on. And with Etsy and Poshmark, it was really a way and photography to some degree, a way that I could start a business and still basically remain anonymous. It wasn't putting myself out there. I didn't have to show my face and I could just kind of hide behind the products and like hope that they sell. And 
looking back, this was just a way that I didn't have to get uncomfortable or be seen putting myself out there and I could hide, I could play small and I could kind of maintain my current identity without having to face the discomfort of potentially being judged by my coworkers or old friends or, you know, whoever you kind of imagine will judge you for trying to do something new and especially trying to do something that is quite different than how people may know you already. And I think at this time in my life, I really grappled a lot between kind of tentatively trying new things and trying on new identities and also at the same time being totally terrified of the judgment of others for leaving such a quote-unquote good career. In hindsight, I can really see that this is one, one of the big things that held me back and I can see that at this time I probably could have used the help of a coach. At this time I really identified as, you know, being a white-collar, well-paid, logical engineer But at the same time, on the inside, I was yearning for creativity and I wanted more balance between kind of my masculine and feminine energies, but I was really scared of being judged. It's the strangest thing. Like I would go to work and I would see people that were able to do more creative tasks, like putting together a really cool looking PowerPoint presentation or just drawing sketches and things like that. Like I worked with landscape architects and so they got to do a lot more kind of drawing design related things and I always just really thought like oh man I wish I could be doing that work I wish I wasn't doing the engineering work I wish I was doing the more creative work so it's it's funny I had this tension between kind of this identity that I enforced upon myself that was like engineers aren't artistic or blah 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 and this yearning inside me and sort of this like jealousy that I almost had with my coworkers that got to do the more creative work and everyone kind of saw them for that and at the time I was very much like oh I can do that too you know like but you know everyone was like well we pay you to do the engineering not to design a powerpoint slide and so that was definitely one of the things that was a good indicator for me that I needed to move on into something that would allow me to have a more balance in my life between being creative and being more like technical or logical or whatever. And I really struggled with this because I think everyone in my life really knew me as only one thing and I hadn't really shared a lot of my creative pursuits with my coworkers, and so I was definitely felt like I needed to hide because I didn't want them to judge me or think, you know, like, what is she doing? Has she lost her mind? Like, she makes good money in this career. Why would she want to do something risky, like become a photographer or whatever, you know? And I think one of my big takeaways here is that if people are going to judge you, they'll probably do it no matter what you're doing. And so you just have to learn to live for yourself and overcome the discomfort of, you know, perceived or actual judgment that others might have towards you. And looking back, I think something that really would have helped me during this time is working with a coach. I can see now looking back that I had so much mindset drama. I had imposter syndrome. I was had fear of being seen. I had fear of taking big action and I played small because I didn't want others to judge me and all of these things that a coach could have helped me navigate so much faster than struggling through it myself. Okay, so the last side hustle that I tried was a YouTube channel. And since we've already been talking about playing small and hiding, let's talk about this YouTube channel. Because once again, I was playing small and hiding. 
And as kind of like the backstory to this, I had always been fascinated by YouTube and I watched people like Casey Neistat who blew up around this time and I couldn't help but wonder like how much money was he being paid by YouTube? You know, how much money do you really get off of a video that makes a million views? And I was also into channels like Best Dressed and Vanessa Lau and Graham Stephan at the time and all of these channels kind of seemed like they were blowing up around that time, like 2018, 2019, 2020. It felt like that was when these channels were really growing and started making what could be really decent money on YouTube based on their subscribers and how many views they were getting. And I had always been so curious about, you know, what is kind of behind the curtain at YouTube and how much money could you really make? And... And so I started a YouTube channel in 2019, but this was a faceless, anonymous channel. And yes, I can see looking back that this was just another time that I was playing small and hiding and kind of dabbling in what I was doing. And I would say at this time, I also like maybe sub unconsciously or subconsciously knew that none of these things were going to be my like real career but I just wanted to try them and I just wanted to, I don't know, scratch that itch or I had this hope that maybe they could be, even though kind of intuitively I knew these weren't my thing. So talking about this YouTube channel, it took me about a year to get monetized and I wasn't as consistent as I should have been. And that's just because I wasn't feeling as passionate about the channel kind of a year later as I was when it was exciting and new and I had this idea and I was like, oh, I'm doing it. I'm starting a YouTube channel. I'm going to see if I can get a ton of views, you know, and stuff like that. And I really was going at this from the wrong direction where I really just wanted it to be a passive income stream for me. I really wanted to have my monthly expenses be covered by something like YouTube that I perceived could be, you know, easy to make one video a week and just have that, you know, cover my costs. I wasn't going into it because I was passionate about what I was doing or really felt like I had something to share. If I'm being honest with myself, I was doing it because I wanted that sweet, sweet YouTube money. <laughs> and so because of that, once I was finally monetized, I felt like I kind of lost steam. I felt like at the time, you know, getting monetized was the big goal. And then once you're monetized, it's smooth sailing from there. But that's not the case. Once I was monetized, I was making about a dollar a day. And the YouTube payout minimum to get paid is $100. So it would take me about three months to even reach the minimum to receive a check from YouTube. And... I think looking back on this, I really now understand why a lot of YouTubers recommend starting a channel that you're passionate about, because if you're in it for the money, you just won't have that motivation to keep going. You're not going to be motivated when you see yourself making less than a dollar a day, and if it takes three months to get a $100 check, like that's just not motivating. So it really has to be something that you're passionate about and a message that you want to share and something that you can talk about for a long time because it could take two to three years to start making any real money through this avenue. And as of recording the podcast, my lifetime earnings on that channel are $378 and that's between 2019 when I started the podcast and now. 
And I definitely think this could have been a lot more. I took some pretty lengthy breaks from the channel where I wouldn't upload for like six months at a time because I just wasn't motivated or passionate about creating those types of videos. And of course, if you take six months off, like you're probably not really making much money during that time. You may be affecting how you place in the algorithm and whatever because they like you to be consistent. So part of this is definitely me. I think if I had been diligently uploading once a week, my channel could be a lot further along than it is. So the lessons that I can see from YouTube were again, not to play small, not to hide, and to really, you know, be okay with being seen and step into the work that I kind of know I'm here to do. Like I knew I wasn't here to be a YouTuber and I really had this sense that coaching was for me, but I just resisted it for the longest time. And the other lesson from YouTube is, you know, you may have heard the saying, you know, the grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. And as far as this channel goes, I wasn't watering my channel very consistently. You know, I would upload here and there and then I would take, you know, a couple months off. And that's just not the way to grow something and build momentum. And this applies to anything you do in life, any new skill, especially there's going to be a lot of discomfort where you're trying something new and you kind of suck at it. And, you know, the excitement of trying something new is starting to wear off. You know, that initial burst of motivation that you get when you get an idea, that's going to wear off. And then you're going to be stuck in this phase where like, you're not great at what you're doing yet. So you don't really have the kind of burst of motivation that comes from seeing, you know, a beautiful end product or from the skill that you have or, as you gain more skill, it kind of reduces the resistance you feel every time you do something. Like none of that is there in the beginning when you're just getting started. And you just have to learn to kind of manage your thoughts around that. You know, you just have to know that like, if I stick to this, it's going to pay off. I'm going to get better. It's going to get easier. And one day with enough momentum and dedication, you know, this could be something really great, but you have to stick with it long enough to get there. And I'm not trying to say like stick with something no matter what. It's sort of this balance of stick with it if you know that it's for you and it's something that you want to put in that time and build. But if you kind of have that hunch, like like I did, I was like, eh, I know that Etsy's not for me. I know that photography is not going to be my career. And I know that YouTube alone isn't going to be my career. Like I just had these internal intuitive like hunches and so it's really like find the thing that you think is your thing and then commit to that. All in all, I would say on the bright side, all of these side hustles really prepared me to start my own business and especially to start producing social media content as a solopreneur. You know, I was able to scratch the itch of all of these random ideas that I had and I was able to really gain clarity and move forward on coaching once I had sort of gotten all those ideas out of my system. And along the way, I was able to build skills. You know, I started learning how to run a business in general. I started learning how to create videos and I had built my photography skills and I now am able to do my own photography for my own business and produce my own YouTube videos and stuff like that. So it all really does build up and it wasn't for nothing. It's been able to contribute to my skill set today. 
So next week we'll be talking about how I got ready to quit my job and this is really with a focus on how I financially prepared to quit my 9 to 5 and during this time I also quiet quit a little bit and that allowed me to really focus on having time and energy outside of work but it also helped me avoid taking on new responsibilities at work because I knew that Taking on new responsibilities or new kind of projects would take a lot of energy and they would require a lot of focus to do a good job at work. And I really honestly just wanted to coast along doing a good job, but you know, not really reaching for the stars because I knew I was getting ready to quit my job. And if you're interested in hearing more about quiet quitting, I'm not going to cover it on the podcast. Maybe I can in the future, but I already did make a YouTube video about that. So you can go to the channel and check that out. So in the next couple, probably couple of podcasts, I'm probably going to make them into separate podcasts. Um, we're going to talk about how I got ready to quit and that included kind of doing a little risk assessment on, you know, finances and where I wanted finances to be, how much risk I could tolerate, things like that. And also how I, what I actually did to assess my finances and start getting ready financially to quit my nine to five job. So with that, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you got something out of it. If you have you or a friend or your work bestie or anyone that you know that is interested in quitting their job as well, make sure to share the podcast with them and I hope they can get something out of it too. And if you're interested in one day starting a business and leaving your nine to five and you would love the help of a coach to get you there and to really get your mindset in shape, then head to the link in the show notes and you can apply for coaching. So have a good week and I'll see you in the next one.